This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails. It's a live weekly hangout, an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand, presented by Data.World. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy, joined by Juan Cicada. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist here at Data.World. And Wednesday, middle of the week, end of the day, and time to have a great drink and chat about data. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that we actually haven't had that much conversation around. It's around leadership, around executives, how they should be involved with data. And with that, we have a really great friend, Luke Slotwinski. He is the VP of Data Analytics at Prologis, who has, uh, I've had so many conversations with Luke around this topic that when, when we were just chatting about this, kind of literally in the hallway one day, we were like, wait, we need to have a catalog and cocktails episode about this. So love it. Luke, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? Welcome. Doing well. Yeah, thanks, guys. Awesome to be here. Great. Well, let's start it off with our tell and toast. So uh, what are you drinking and what are you going to toast for, Luke? Uh, good question. So I'm at the office today, so my options are kind of limited. But what I got with me is uh, the Two-Hearted Ale. And it's uh, by a brewery uh, called Bell's out of Michigan. Oh, nice. I really like that beer. Yeah, it's a solid one. And what I'm toasting for, you know, being at the office after the last two years of crazy, I'm just happy to see faces without masks on. So cheer in for that and more of it to come. I love that. Love that. How about you, Tim? Um, I am drinking a uh, raspberry chocolate old-fashioned. So I put a little bit of raspberry syrup in it and some chocolate bitters. Uh, and it tastes pretty good. I like it. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll toast to, to getting to see people's faces and, and getting to merge a little bit more into, into usual work as well. I know Omicron kind of put a hit on that, but I know things are finally starting to slide back into normalcy again. So very excited about that. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually at the office too. And, and I'm, you can see my setting. I actually went into some uh, uh, our conference room and here was the bar at a part of the bar in the office. So I think this it's is now bar stash. this is the secret bar stash and it's the official or unofficial Catalan cocktails uh, office room here at data.world. And I'm having, uh, I'll say a boring vodka soda, but the vodka actually it's called gratefulness. So I am right. from Tennessee and I'm going to be then just toasting to being grateful to be back at the office too. And we have so many kind of on-site meetings uh, this week and next week. So it's just fascinating to be back with people also. So cheer, cheers to, to be able to be in office and be with people. So cheers to that. Cheers. So we got our warm-up question today, which is I think one of the weirdest, funniest ones that we've had before. Why did the chicken cross the road? Data-driven answers only, please. <laughs> Who wants to take that one first? <laughs> I'll take that one. You know, as in all things data, I think that there's always a fair amount of quality questions. I think the chicken crossed the road because of a data quality issue, and he walked right smack dab in the middle of a highyway. <laughs> <laughs> Did the chicken make it across it is the question, right? I don't know. How did most data quality issues end up? <laughs> it's like 100% chance the chicken crossed the road, 0% chance that it lived. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, I guess it's been a theme a lot about data quality. Uh, it's always a big theme, but actually the, the conversation we had last week with Laura Matson, that was like her thing, right? Her theme was 2022 has to be the year of data quality. So, all right, well, let's make sure that chickens, uh, if, if they do cross the road successfully, it's because they have quality data. <laughs> so, 
All right. Well, let's kick this off with our honest, no BS discussion today. I don't just want to go go to this directly. Luke, so honest, no BS. How immersed right now are leaders and executives in these data analytics efforts today? Or are they really just delegating this to other people? Yeah, good question. And I think if we rewind time, right, even back to the old dot matrix printers, right, data was produced to leaders as reporting, right? High level summary reporting with metrics and statistics that told them the state of the business. And if one of those metrics didn't line up with what their expectations were or what the you know budget told them it should be, well, then they picked up a phone and they called somebody. And then that lower level analyst is the person who dug in and figured out exactly, well, what below that aggregate was causing data to go one way or another. So I think as technology has evolved, as data and analytics functionality has evolved, right? The paradigm from a technology perspective has changed, right? We're starting at that lowest level, bringing the data together, applying the semantics to it and enabling self-service. But at the other end of the spectrum, I think a lot of leadership still looks at that. I want to give that report. And if I have a question, I'm going to ring somebody. Right. So, so I think that it's, it's a work in progress. There's still a lot of work to be done and ton of opportunity for leadership to lean in and go beyond just looking at these high level metrics and start to do some of that exploratory analytics themselves. Okay. So we, we all, I mean, we have dashboards, we have reports, right? That's kind of a, the typical thing. Like here's this daily sales report that gets emailed around every day. And then they see these numbers and the number is going in the right direction. Great. Numbers going in the right direction. They call somebody and they ask why. And, and, but what are then the types of questions that they should, that executive leaders should be asking and, and, and should they just always be at that stage? Like, let me just, I just send it to me, I'll consume, and then I'll ask some questions, or should they be pushed more into the into the data world? Yeah, if you think about the, the world of possible is open for them where they can really start to slice and dice that data themselves, right? Because yes, if a metric is off, typically there's causality behind it, right? So that curiosity and that asking why, these tools that are out there and most of the data architectures that, that companies are producing allow you to start slicing and dicing. Right. And if I was in the shoes of that analyst and my boss is calling me saying, you know, why are the numbers off? Either I'm going to scramble and start digging or if that leader comes to me and says, hey, I noticed that on the weekends when we have this kind of condition, we have number impacts. Right. What is causing that? Now we're able to start forming a much more productive conversation that's going to lead people to engage to solve problems and not you know, defend the metric or scramble to figure out what do we do to make it better. So, so the, the, that to me is the biggest opportunity that's largely untapped of go and figuring it out yourself, right? Maybe you won't get as close as an analyst, but if you can engage with that person who's on the other end of that phone call in a much more detailed conversation, you're gonna have a better conversation and more than likely you're gonna have a much better outcome. So, hmm. I, so I would say that today, or not today, well, traditionally you get the report and something doesn't look right. And they ask why, why, what's going on here. And then they expect the answer back. Um, when in reality, what we should be doing is that we should be able to enabling leaders to say, ask that why themselves and let them go fish as much as they can, because maybe they can answer that first level of why. And then that's going to generate more questions or more or, or answers and then they go deeper to the point that now they have much more context that then when they're going to go reach out to the rest of their data team 
They're not just going to go ask for a simple, hey, why did this happen? Or this doesn't look right. They actually have already done a lot of the work and then we can have much more kind of fruitful conversations. That's how I'm seeing, that's kind of my takeaway from based on what you're, what you're saying. What yeah, would you say? I would say that, that that is the large takeaway, right? Because that is hugely empowering. These teams, right, especially the analyst teams and the businesses have been working to, to reinvent themselves, right? They've been historically also in Excel, also getting those data dumps coming out of these systems, and they can answer those core questions, right? But as they are going to get more advanced in their analytics capabilities, they're going to have to learn SQL. They're going to have a ton of different data sets at their disposal. So I think the the actual leader leaning in on that and learning here is the world of possible. Here's how we can slice and dice that data. One is going to empower that analyst in that seat to know that they can do more. And also it's going to fuel the fact that, you know, ultimately people pay attention to what they're leaders pay attention to, right? We all show up to work because our leader has a mission and we want to go and help them attain that mission. If we focus those conversations as being data-centric conversations that aren't just questioning metrics, but questioning the underlying substance below those metrics, nothing but good can come out of it. So, so Luke, why don't you think this is happening more? You know, people talk about data literacy. People talk about, you know, self-service analytics or other types of tooling. You know, is there, is there a particular reason or reasons why you think this hasn't, isn't, hasn't happened maybe as quickly or as meaningfully as it should? Yeah, I think a lot of it is focused around the fact this is a new language that, that people have to learn. They have to learn to interact with data in a much different way where the landscape is much bigger. So everybody is busy, right? We are all understaffed. It's difficult to find people to join our teams and the workload just keeps increasing because of the dynamics of the world around us. So I think a lot of it is people go back to what they know, right? If I ask a question, I can go to the, the ERP system or the sales system and pull a report, crunch the numbers in Excel really quickly and produce the answer to that question. But taking the time to slow down and invest both from the analyst on learning the new techniques of accessing data and then the leaders knowing what kind of questions can their data answer that's an investment of time. And yes, it's one of those situations where you got to go slow to go fast. But I've seen, you know, throughout my work at this uh, current position and positions past that when leaders take that time, really, that's the pivotal change is we all start to think outside of the box. Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's super meaningful and, and, and great advice. And you know, do you have some, you know, whether it's stories from, you know, your own experiences at Prologis or just things you've seen where, um, you know, where this, you know, where, where there's been success stories here, where you can see that people are, you know, leaders are able to carve out the time. Like what, what are the successful strategies or the su successful stories that you're seeing here? Yeah, I think a, a really good story is around the finance department. So the CFO decided that one of his core mission for the finance department was to become data driven last year. And, you know, our team was right there lockstep with them, showing them here's all of the data that we have modeled. That's your starting point. Here is the kind of guided analytics experience where you can drag and drop to start creating analytics. And then the level below that, once you start getting into SQL and working with data. And when we started out these training sessions, a large majority of that senior leadership team from the finance department was there in those trainings, participating with all the analysts. 
And while, yes, they're not the ones writing SQL, they were learning about the world of possible and what these tools can do and what the data can do. And as a result of that, right, we saw that that team above, across all of the teams, they were the ones that excelled. They excelled in their ability to explore, right? They weren't afraid to make ma uh, mistakes as they learned. They weren't afraid to make questions. And today they, they are one of the top user bases that we have across all our analytics stacks because they have learned that new language of interacting with data, but also interacting with each other to know how data can help them. Right. And to me, the ultimate measure of success is when I see that meetings are starting to be run with a report up on the screen. Right. We're no longer going on our pad and paper. We're no longer looking at, at numbers. We're, we're seeing a dashboard being presented at a meeting, and that's what we're working through. I like that as a uh, as a as a as a metric or a milestone that we should be looking at here. It's like when you walk past a conference room and you look at what's uh, being projected onto the screen. There is it. Is it a is it a dashboard? Is it a slide? Right. Hopefully, you're seeing more dashboards and reports being put up there, right? Or maybe notebooks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What what other success? Uh, how else would you define success? I like because I, I, I want to get kind of very tangible, very specific here, right? So you know you 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 know you're having a team that is being successful, right? You're saying examples are the leadership is taking the time to go do the training themselves just to get just like with, with their analysts, right? And that's driving success, such as meetings start with reports and stuff like that. What other examples could you share? Because I, I really like to kind of let's set the bar where people should think about. Yeah, I think other good examples of how you know adoption is happening is when you start hearing people ask for the same kind of reports across business lines, right? Because now you're starting to see the sense of community start to come to life. You know, with us, when we first inventoried all of our canonical models, right? So the data models that represent who we are and what we do across the company, we cataloged them and we started opening it up to, to people to use. Initially, there was crickets in terms of discussions and collaboration that we saw. But the more that we started seeing people dig in and start to collaborate, those discussions are what started addressing and bringing on new people, right? Where it wasn't just my team jumping in to say, answer a question of what's this metric about. It was other people from the business starting to collaborate right within, you know, the catalog and answering each other's questions, empowering each other to, to go and create new answers to questions that they've not heard before. So I think that's definitely another good one. I, I, I love this, right? This is, this is, we always talk about adoption, right? How you get tools, how are they being adopted in here? But having this notion of like, can we actually measure the amount of communication that is happening across different business lines? And I think that's a, that's a really important thing that we need to start looking at. It's that within your organization, you have work that needs to be done within a business line. But ultimately, if you're accomplishing kind of communication across the different business lines, that really means that you're on the path to having truly kind of a data-driven organization. And it's okay if that communication or it's generating good friction or whatever. At least it's starting to have that. I mean, starting to have that conversation is what we need. And I think this is the, a lot of the stuff that we lack and we kind of just stay, I mean, that's why we continue having all these silos and people don't talk to each other. Yep. And typically, right, when you just look at adoption from a, a perspective of I'm going to look at usage tracking on whatever reporting tool. Yes, that's interesting, right? You'll see I have this many monthly active viewers. This report is getting this many hits on this day of the week, this hour of the day. 
But to me, those are still pretty superficial metrics. Yes, it talks about usage. It doesn't talk about is the company really changing the culture and starting to embrace data. Let's dig into that, right? So I think if you're as metrics, even I think there's two things, right? There's like the metrics within that your company tracks, but then there's also the metrics of of how uh, data driven and and and, and data literate your your company is being. So just the usage of kind of clicks on a particular dashboard, yeah, people are looking at it, but that, that really isn't truly measuring what is a kind of a true data driven organization. How would you measure this? I mean, and you've talked about kind of uh, collaboration. What other ideas? Because I don't think companies are thinking about this. Yeah, to me, it starts, you know, at the top level, it's kind of, we have IT bringing up, you know, from the ground up, like I said, the lowest level of detail, bring the data in, start to apply semantics to it, model it for reporting, model it for um, accessibility across business lines. That is probably going from the most difficult layer to the easiest to consume layer, right? Where the business is almost tackling it the entire different direction. First, they're going to start with just analytics and reports of give me the data. Next, you know, what I'm looking at is I'm looking, are you taking advantage of the, this guided analytics concept where I have a report that was prepared by a data team, but that report is editable. I can click edit on it. And now all of a sudden I see a palette of different uh, metrics and different attributes that I can start slicing and augmenting that report with. So tracking usage on that, I think, is that baseline saying, yes, people are now starting to take analytics and making them their own, or maybe asking questions that are slightly different than what that out-of-the-box report uh, makes available. You know, Then that next level, what we look for is, are people actually getting beyond that guided analytics and beyond exporting data and going into Excel, and are they digging in to using SQL? Are, are they actually starting to interact with these canonical models, whether that's uh, adding a data table to an existing report or even starting from scratch where they're going to create their own uh, set of tables to start answering their specific questions? So I think that's a good way to measure maturity as it relates to the use of the tools and the depth of the use. Intense. But this is this is very interesting to think about adoption and about how we're able to get leaders and executives more involved. I know one thing that, um, you know, uh, Luke, as we were talking with you ahead of today's show, we were talking about the kinds of questions that people are asking. Are they are they the right questions? Are they the right depth of question. Uh, and like, for example, you know, if uh, there's a sales target in the organization and uh, and it doesn't get hit, right? A lot of times uh, leaders or executives may just ask the high level question of like, why didn't we hit the sales target, right? Go figure it out, right? Or whatever, right? Um, like, is that, you know, is that the right level of depth? Is there more depth that leaders should be going into when it comes to exploring these different data questions? Um, and, and, and how can they go about that? Yeah, good question. I think that, you know, especially now, even with guided analytics, when you click edit on that report and you get that palette of available fields that you can add to your report or you can slice and dice by the, the limits of how far you can slice are, are pretty much unlimited as much as the data model supports it. Right. But I think being able to slice, even starting with geography, going by product lines, going by all the things, you know, should be driving that that sales target. That's the key to it. Right. If you look at a retail example, right, most retail have. Yes, they have their product sales. Then they have their high revenue margin uh, items like branded payments, right, things that they know they're going to get a much higher margin on. 
so slicing even by those high-level categories and then going into there and figuring out what is driving the numbers. Where do we see the peaks? Where do we see the troughs? And then you know exactly where to focus on. So that conversation going to you know my point earlier starts to become a lot more targeted where you could say with specificity, what happened to this particular metric going down on this attribute? One of the things that I'm wondering is, I mean, the, 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 the points that you're making, I mean, people are doing this, right? There's, we're not saying that nobody's doing this type of stuff. But I think, as you mentioned earlier, there, it is, we kind of go back to our old ways. And I wonder then, is there a kind of a, general, a generation kind of shift that, will, that is occurring that will have, I mean, this is probably a little touchy subject, but we'll have an older generation that are kind of in their old ways. And they're like, I'm not used to asking the, just give me the report. That's what I'm used to. And then we'll be having a younger generation of leaders coming in that they're much more tech savvy, that they're much, that they're, they, they, that they probably even already know SQL. They're advancing in their career and they're going to be the ones who are going to be asking those next generation of questions. Are you, are you seeing this? Because I'm curious, because maybe in a couple, in a couple of years, we'll be, companies will start getting get smarter and smarter because of a next generation. Yeah, I think it's a mix of, of generation as well as just how many years you've been doing it. And I think there's a certain element of a leader who's been used to getting the, this data that's pre-cooked for them, what I'll call reporting, right? Not analytics. You're getting a set of metrics that's fixed in an Excel spreadsheet or a PDF, a report. Right. Those people are the ones who are who have built that habit of, of reaching out a phone and not really have the desire to dig where I think people who are getting into these lines of business without that that um, history of being able to just call somebody, they're getting that native curiosity. Right. They're, they're the ones who are saying, well, let me learn more. I certainly think I, I see it for sure with younger leaders having much more gravitation towards wanting to do this more themselves. But I also see it that leaders who who are stepping into these roles that are new also want to know, right? They might not be as willing to dig in and start dragging and dropping in, in Tableau, but they are much more inquisitive over what else is the causality behind these numbers. And the other thing I think of is, you know, a lot of us spend time thinking about AI and ML and how does that fit into the business? How do we take these core metrics like sales numbers and start to apply some kind of data science to it? That, that same behavior to me is really very much tied to, to the success of AI and ML at a company is when, when you start to question and you want to know how else you can slice and dice this or how can I predict this based on these five data points, which I believe have causality, now AI and ML has a place that that comes in and gels much easier and much faster because we're not trying to do you know exploratory data analytics to figure out what might have signal in all the noise that we see. We're able to start pinpointing the spots where we want to start to investigate. Now th th this is a great point. It goes back to like my my favorite phrase: "Don't boil the ocean." Right. We end up thinking, oh, uh, here's all this data and let's give it to some uh, happy machine learning AI thing, which is going to tell me all this magical stuff. I didn't know. And like, and I mean, so many times we've seen it's like, well, it just finds these correlations of things of, of stuff that we already knew or like, oh, obviously that I know, like, though, you know, I didn't need to go pay this MML thing to go tell me about it. But if we're able to go say, okay. I've been able to kind of focus us on this part. I've gotten deeper into here. I, I'm now stuck. 
right? I still don't know what's going on. And maybe there's just so much more data to go analyze. Like now you have something much more focused that you can go give it a, to an ML, do some data science and saying, go follow, go find some correlations around this stuff that, that it's just hard to go do manually, right? That's, that's where you want your ML and your AI to come in. But to be successful at that, I think you should, we need to go start focus, getting some focus around that and getting the focus then is by starting to ask more of the why. Why, why, until you kind of either get stuck or you're just like, oh my God, there's just so many more whys I can go, they can go through and I, I can't scale this anymore. Yep. Yeah. And, and no matter which way you look at it, right? Humans are really good at this. They're really good at, at looking at all the variables and seeing, does this make logical sense? And if we can do that as leaders, we could say, here's a target that we're looking at. Here's the different ways to slice it. We'll come up with the whys that are probably more interesting than the others. But now you're setting that, that AI, ML, data science project up for really targeted work. And you're probably going to get a hell of a lot better answers than if you just say, run a bunch of auto ML and figure out which algorithm tells me the most interesting you know, piece of information. Yeah, I mean, we do love our our, uh, our magic buttons and our silver bullets. Those are always fun. But it, it's nice when you compare automation with data understanding, right? Yeah. Um, you know, question for you, Luke, you know, on this whole topic of like, we kind of talked about like the literacy and the involvement and engagement of, of leaders around data. We've talked a little bit now about causality and, you know, a role of things like AI and machine learning to help a little bit with that. Um, this question of why, have you found some, uh, some approaches that allow organizations to get to why better like we've talked to a couple here but like are there others are, are you are you thinking a lot about experimentation for example are you thinking about the embedding of analysts more in different parts of the organization as opposed to always having it you know centralized curious if you found some strategies that that are really helping to get to why more yeah, good question. So, you know, as we're thinking about how do we really put fuel on this is data curiosity throughout the whole organization. That's where, you know, our team who's created these canonical models, this foundation of the data that we live on, we're now starting to engage with leaders, knowing that if our starting point is a report, a fixed, you know, report that you look at, how can we start showing them that world of possible and working with them say, there is a report, here's this edit button, and let's work together through the top 10 questions that you always wanted to know about this specific you know, sales metric or, or whatever that number is, and teaching them that, that this kind of question asking is not as difficult as you think it would be. So it's really coming up to having people come prepared with the questions that they want to ask or they wish they asked, and then showing them that you don't need an analyst or you don't need a centralized data and analytics team to be able to answer a lot of what matters to the business. So you, so you want to really take a, um, a teach to fish or maybe even a Socratic method to, to some of the, the investigations around the why around data. Yeah, absolutely. And then the next step after that would be to have those leaders work with their teams that same way, right? Yes, the questions you might not be asking are not the top of mind questions to drive your strategy forward. But if you know the kinds of questions that your team is now capable of answering, if you start asking those questions to your team, well, that's going to create that muscle memory for them to say, let me go to the data platform and find the answer to that question. 
And then you can start asking those questions that are truly pertinent to you and are very strategic in nature, but your team has gained the trust and they know that it's okay to take the time to explore the data and not just hack it together because it was due yesterday. Right. <laughs> and, and so you're, so you're drilling down, you're teaching people to fish, they're getting involved with the tooling, they're learning the tooling, learning the data and understanding more about their business in the process. Part of this is semantics, right? It's like, we at our organization call this an order and we call this a customer and we call this an active customer. Um, what What is the role of learning about the semantics of your data and the meaning behind your data as as an organization is getting better at, at teaching people to look at the why? Yeah, that, that is why to, to me, you know, the catalog is the center of that whole world. Our catalog has report metric names uh, cataloged in it, all the dimensions from the reporting to the underlying data. So yes, the, there is never going to be a common language across the whole company, right? Different departments are going to call the same name for two different things. But if they can find the meaning that they need at the time that they need it, then all that bridges that gap. Right, because we know that if I see NOI over here and I'm not sure what it is, I can go in the catalog and that catalog will describe uh, the term, but it will also bind it to the actual data set that they're working with. So now they know exactly that this element they're working with has this business definition. So th that's been huge in terms of getting people to start thinking the same way about concepts that might have the same names, but are truly different to the different business groups. Oh, man, I mean, again, I'm smiling for those who can't see me. You can see that this is this kind of follows uh, the, the whole knowledge first theme I have that it, we, we need to start thinking about bringing in not just giving more data, but we need to start thinking about the knowledge and the knowledge actually starts with let's catalog all the business, all the words that we may use. And let's go realize that all these words mean the same thing or they mean different things and what they are and we can assign people to them and what domains they are and what uh, different business lines. But then uh, I was having this conversation earlier today is like we want to be, we need in order to go ground what that means, we need to connect it to the data. And, and that, I think that's the important thing which the catalog will help, uh, help with is to go say, We've cataloged all this data, all these resources we have. We catalog all this terminology we have. How, how is the terminology itself related? How is the data itself related? That's where like lineage will come in. But then now how are these terms, these, these words that we're using that mean things to humans and how is that related to the data? And that's where we have to go ground that and, and making these connections is key to that. And I think this is something that we need to start thinking about more. And, and, and I'm really excited to, to hear folks like you guys uh, at Prologis that you guys are thinking about this because I think a lot of a lot of the a lot of people I see in the market, they just focus on give me the data. I just want the data and the lineage where this comes from. But there's like and the business glossary sometimes even something on the side, not not a, not a big priority. Uh, but we need all of this needs to be enriched and connected. Um, yeah. Anyways. I'm rambling. I'm just excited what you're saying because it connects a lot of my my personal kind of mission and vision, uh, and, and and this is, makes me very happy. <laughs> yeah, and you know the other interesting part that I think it does is when people dig into data, is we laughed about the chicken crossing the road because of data quality, but also when you start working with the data, you start to find value in everything you're entering into all these sales systems or customer systems. Right, you will start to spot the data quality issues. It's one thing to do a data quality report and start reporting on the health of your data. 
starting to, I hate this term, but I'll use it anyways, eat your own dog food, you're going to realize when your dog food tastes like garbage because you're going to see the data quality get returned right in your own report. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and actually, you said something I wrote down. It says we need to have these data-centric conversations. It's not just about asking things about the metrics, but ask about the substance underneath the metrics. And that was a very key phrase, a key important phrase to me, because we think about all we care is about all these measurements, right? These calculations, these metrics, but these truly are just a formula. It's a calculation over a bunch of things. And these things exist in your, in the real world of your organization, right? There's an order, there's a customer, there's a product, there's an order line, there's, there's a price, there's a discount. And like, I want to, I need to be able to understand what these things actually mean at, 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 at the real world level, right? This is the semantics. And then if, and then I can make sure that I understand my metrics. If I just focus just on the metrics, you would think that the problems at the metrics, I'm trying to go focus, just have the conversation here. When in reality, you should be having the conversation more at this, at, at the substance layer of what these actual most important concepts, things for your organization mean, because you may be defining customer differently, or maybe you've been doing the calculation of a metric on the wrong definition of the customer. Yep. You did it on a customer instead. So it should be an active customer or, or a pre-order instead of a post-order or something like that. I think starting to ask these types of questions and realizing it's not just about the metrics, but it's more about in deep of what this stuff actually means. That's where we need to head towards. So that's why I found that that phrase that you said, very, very important. Yeah. And I think there's two components of that. One is certainly what you described, right? The problems are not at the aggregated metric level. The problems to fix are at that lower level. That, that's what I think one fundamental thing. The other is that most, you know, call it KPIs are lagging metrics. You're going to find the problem after the time has gone and your ability to influence it is past, right? That, that's one of the, I think the, the thing behind looking at lagging metrics. If you're starting to dig in and you have that bridge between here's my KPIs, they're all retrospective in nature, but here are my leading metrics, right? Here is the stuff the, the people in the field are doing every day. Well, now you can affect change right when change needs to happen, before the month ends, before the quarter ends, and start to influence what's going on. Oh, we're, 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 we're on, a, on, on this great semantic conversation. And, and you know me, I can keep talking about this stuff. I'm interested in talking a little bit more about kind of the tooling. You've talked about catalogs. What other types of tooling are you seeing that, that, need, that executives, leaders, if, they, if they're just kind of starting to pull all this, all this stuff together, they should be considering. So we definitely a catalog. What else is on there on the horizon? I think that this concept that I, I term, you know, guided analytics is, is the tools. There's multiple tools that can do this, but it's the ability of creating that corporate view of a report, but having a rich data model, those canonical models underneath it, where you can hit edit on that report and you can start doing that, that exploration, that slicing and dicing, that's a must have, right? Because th that's what really allows you to start exploring the data. So to me, that, that's a really important tool. You know, then if you look at explore, exploratory data analytics, that Excel look and feel goes a huge way, right? To me, uh, being able to crank open Excel and pivot data, filter data, it's quick, it's dirty, people 
find a lot of value in the speed and, and flexibility of it. So analytics tools like Sigma computing is another one that's been huge for us. And yes, this is not sales, but you know, from a, the uh, exploratory nature, it is that Excel look and feel. And that's been hugely empowering to our teams to say, we know we're not gonna create run the business type of dashboards in it, but if we need to ask questions that are not necessarily repeatable, how do we do that in a quick way that doesn't require us to, again, learn all those lower level skills of, of doing data exploration with, tool, with languages like SQL? So guided analytics is obviously a big, a big piece of the puzzle here, too. Um, what, what's your perspective on some of the other types of analytics tools and how they're, they're going to help here? Um, you know, things like, uh, you know, notebook or data science like environments or, you know, even think about everyone's favorite BI tool, Excel, right? <laughs> like, yeah. how, how do those fit into the picture here? And, you know, and how do you think about the governed aspect of it? Because one of the nice things about a guided analytics tool is that you can kind of apply more of a governed model behind it uh, a little more easily, whereas things like Excel and data science environments can sometimes be a little bit more wild, wild west. Yeah, and I think it all goes back to that maturity model is if you're starting people out with guided analytics, there's going to be a subset of that population that wants to do more, right? And it's the job of the data and analytics team to empower those people that want to go beyond that. And I think that ne next natural step in that is just getting them into SQL, getting them to create their own data models. And then they're going to get to the point where SQL as a set-based language can only take them so far. And they're going to want to get into that notebook experience. But again, much like AI ML, I think if you follow the buzzwords in the industry right now, you're going to want to use Python, you're going to want to use you know, Pandas, everything else. Start with the language that has been around for a long time. It's probably going to take you 80, 85% of the way, and then use the right tool for the right job to bridge your gap. That would be my whole advice there, because yes, there is a lot of tools out there. The landscape keeps growing every day but you're gonna get stuck in tool hell if you just try to find the right tool for every single question that's different than the prior one. That's really good advice. I know a lot of data leaders are trying to navigate the tool situation and it's only getting more and more complicated to understand where these things fit and which ones are the most important and which ones are the best for us. So I think that's really good advice there. Um, you know, another aspect of the tooling landscape is also more of the sort of the process and the organizational side of, of how you're organizing your company and trying to address uh, sort of data, data challenges, data initiatives, you know, are, do you also see things like data products or data mesh architecture, uh, things like that playing an important role in terms of getting the company more analytics ready and involved in that process? Yeah, my favorite term, data mesh. Um, so we've had data virtualization since step one of the world that we built in the cloud. And to me, you know, data virtualization handles the parts of data mesh that, that are important, is how do we move quickly? Right? How do we have the ability to onboard new data sources when they become pertinent and then not have to bring everything into a centralized data lake until it makes sense to? So from that perspective, I do think that virtualization tools are a good accelerator to remove the barrier to getting insights into data that's just come to interest. You know, in terms of data products, um, yes, I, I think that you know this decentralized model 
has always been there, whether we chose to acknowledge it or not. It's empowering the, these decentralized groups to, to own what they do. Right. I like I think it was two episodes ago um, you were talking about guys were talking about the concept of, of subject matter experts and not data owners. And I like that a lot because I think the term ownership comes with a lot of resistance from people and people are going to say, well, no, I don't own that because I know that thing is, de- you know, is riddled with issues. But I think empowering people to be the experts for a particular data domain or a particular subset of data. Now that opens up a lot more collaboration going forward. And then the data mesh enables you to say, great, let's just stitch it all together and work through the quality, the governance, all those aspects, but not stop progress in terms of getting insights from that data. Yeah, I, I think this, the, the, the whole word, I mean, words matter. So when we talk about data ownership, right, that can be something, data owners, right? That's something that can be very touchy. And, and I, I mean, we've had Doug Laney on the show and we've I've chatted with Doug about this before, and he's very anti-Doug, an, an, an anti uh uh, owners, you know, data. really yeah. owns the data, right? Um, I, I guess we use the word owner, but what we really mean is that we want somebody or a team, or whatever, to or t- to be accountable for it, responsible for it, and we put the word and we label it as an owner. So I would agree that it's probably not just it's not really kind of the word owners, maybe not the right one. We should go find another one. But in reality, or the way I see this is that. We need somebody to take responsibility. We want somebody to to to, to take uh, action around that, right? To, to to define the boundaries of what this product is. To to talk to the users, the customers of this product to get that requirements, right? That's what we we're using that word owner doesn't mean that oh this is my data and I hold it mm-hmm. and I kind of like you. It's it's more about the responsibility and accountability. I was I think uh, I was seeing on Twitter I think today and I think it was Laura Madsen who was talking about this should be almost like data ambassador, right? That was a term yeah. she was using like. Yeah, I, I, I actually want, I'm an ambassador for my data. I want people to go use my data, right? So words matter. And I agree that probably the ownership is probably not the best word, but I, but I, we shouldn't over fixate on that word ownership. I think the, really the meaning here is somebody's taking responsibility. Somebody's taking accountability. Somebody wants to make sure that this is going to be used. And and, and 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 there's even metrics and KPIs around this stuff such that I'm, I know I'm improving this and there's a roadmap and so forth. That's how I see this whole data product and the quote unquote owner, but more ambassador, let's call it. Yep. I would agree with that. Actually, I think a lot of something that, you know, people don't think about is also there is, you know, that um, being the ambassador of your data, but also knowing when that data is no longer needs to be collected. One of the things I've been pushing through my team is like, we have all of these fields that we're collecting, but do we still know whether there's, are they providing value, right? Some fields for sure are still driving the core business, probably most of them, but there, as business changes, as time changes, there's also a fizzle out of, do we still need to keep collecting the field we've been collecting for 10 years if it's not providing value? Yeah, I think this, we, that's just our old ways, right? Let's just keep cataloging and kind of, you think about it, oh, this is cheap, we'll just keep doing it. but. But but why are we doing this? I mean, this was another conversation we were having is, I mean, if you're governing something, there's a reason why you're doing it, because we're going to go use it. And if nobody's going to go use this, then why are you wasting your time around that stuff? So I think that's always super important to start thinking about kind of uh, why are we doing this? I mean, that's, that's what we need to go push up towards. Yep. Yeah. Look, another uh, kind of why that's valuable. More, yeah, more and more and more wise. So going back to the tools, I, I, you brought up virtualization, right? So you talk about catalog, guide analytics, uh, thinking about your canonical models. I think this is really important. 
data virtualization, something else that you brought up. Um, any any last other tools that, that people are that, that that's on your horizon people should be thinking about? I mean, where we're going next and looking at the tools is now that, you know, we have a solid data foundation that's providing really good descriptive analytics and we're seeing good adoption and uptake of that. You know, we're look, getting into the, the, that favorite topic of AutoML is our data science team is really good at solving, you know, specific use case problems. How can now we bring that to this analyst group, the, the people who have learned how to, you know, take advantage of SQL, take advantage of data directly. How can now we empower them to take that next step into leveraging AutoML tools. So I'm excited for that journey. I think that's gonna open up a lot of interesting insights. Um, another one there is a decision automation. So now that you have data that really clearly represents the what and the how of the business, how can you start leveraging that to help with automating decisions or at least parts of the decisions to take some burden off of people going to system one, system two, spreadsheet here, spreadsheet there, to get all the data together to be able to make a business decision. If we can help pre-cook that or give them a guidance of here's a range that you should consider, can we accelerate the speed at which we can execute business processes and ultimately data-driven decisions within those processes? The, 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 this is, this decision automation is is really interesting and con connects to the conversation we had with uh, with Sarah Canzaro about like what's next. She also brought up causality, and the other one was um, hypothesis generation. Right, we're talking about the whys. Like we're asking all these whys, but is there something else that we should be asking that we don't know about? But again, once we have the that once we have the semantics in play, right, understand how our context and our organization works, like. We can bring in more of the the next generation AI. I would. I mean, this is this is like a like like more of almost kind of going old school AI in a way, uh, yeah. rule based AI in a way, saying like these are the questions that you should be asking, and let's go figure it out, right? So, I think when it comes to like what we've coined now as AI, it's just the same more data, give me more data, ML type of stuff, but. There's a there's a big interesting world that's coming after this. So I think machine learning, um, we gotta kind of we're gonna keep doing that. It's gonna be on the side, and we gotta open it up to really new cool things when it comes to like AI is not just machine learning. So yeah, it's a tool in that whole mix, right? Because no matter which way you look at it, a decision is gonna have part uh, probabilistic, part pro part deterministic, right? And if it's deterministic you can start doing that stuff without investing into all the AI ML stuff. And then you identify the parts where can an algorithm help, right? If, after all, it's just a function, right? It, it, it gets inputs, it does stuff and it produces outputs. It can fit into a larger decision framework quite nicely. Well, yeah. Luke, I, we could talk, we can keep talking and talking and talking. Look, time flies already 45 minutes in this and we have to go uh, to our lightning round. So, uh, let's let's move on to our lightning round, which is presented by Data.World, the world's only truly cloud-native uh, data catalog. And with that, let me kick it off. Question number one, should all executives in a company take required data training? Good question. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that. the fact that, yes, I think all executives should take at least a 101 of, you know, what is this buzz term, AI, ML? It's not the silver bullet for any problem that you wake up to. And then two is like the data literacy 101 is understanding what is really, you know, the purpose of analytics versus reporting and opening up the eyes of curiosity. 
You know, similar to that question, Luke, should all executives in the company know SQL? <laughs> I wish they did, but reality is no. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, that SQL is a fine, fine skill, right? It, it, you're going to have to use it, but you can do a ton without knowing it. Very fair. Right. Very fair. Next question. Is, is AutoML going to put automated data science in the hands of everyone or anyone in the company? I don't think anyone, I think it's the people who are already embracing like the descriptive analytics, right? Who are doing the, the guided analytics of editing reports, who are getting into playing around with data. That's a tool for them, right? If you're purely a consumer of a report and you're drilling down from aggregates to details, you're going to benefit from the products of what an auto ML tool can do. But personally, I don't see you diving in and creating your own your hypotheses in a tool like that. That makes sense. The right tool for the right job. And then, you know, final uh, lightning round question for you here, Luke. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about why today. Obviously, that's a big theme. Do we have all the tools and technology needed today to ask why and ask it as many times in a row as we need to? And it's really the people in process we need to fix? For the most part, I think so, right? Not every single why question can be answered. But I think the most pertinent ones can be answered, or if your question can't be answered perfectly, you can get to know enough about it to be able to take that next step. So mostly I think it is a people process culture that, that really needs to, to evolve. Well, that's a, that's a good place for us to be in, right? Where the, the technology is here, we've got the tools we need, and now we just have to go, we have to go implement this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's uh, it's our takeaway. TTT. Tim takes it away with takeaways first. Go away. Go take it <laughs> away, Tim. <laughs> awesome. Takeaways. So, Luke, great conversation today. A lot of really great nuggets. And I think some of the key things that you brought up early in our conversation was around executives and around leadership and the role that they take in data and asking questions around data and how they could really be doing more of that and really do so with the ability to actually click into the why, right? Um, you know, a lot of sort of executives and leaders in the past started with the report that came, maybe it started off from the dot matrix printer, as you noted, and later came in the form of the Excel spreadsheet that gets emailed to them every Monday morning. Um, but uh, really what we want to try to do is encourage people with the right skills, the right tools, the right processes to dig into the why, especially the leaders in our organizations and, uh, and have them really roll their sleeves up and get in there with the rest of the organization, right? And that's going to empower them to ask better questions, to, to really empower the rest of the organization to see their leaders on the front lines of data, working with them to answer these questions. Um, and really, it seems like one of the big deterrents to that happening that you mentioned is around sort of comfort, right? There's a comfort in sort of the ways that we've done it before uh, and that we do have to kind of push ourselves to, to learn these new skills, encourage our leaders especially to learn these new skills, uh, and in some cases, go a little slower to go fast, actually spending that time on the data with our data teams and asking these data questions. Uh, and then finally, you know, you did also talk quite a bit about tools. Um, you mentioned catalog being a very uh, important part of, of being able to address asking why. 
uh, guided analytics, really that ability to have a dashboard and click edit and explore those different fields and do that in a hands-on way, in a self-service way. A canonical model that allows you to actually slice and dice that data, whether it's part of that guided analytics tool, whether it's part of more of a semantic layer, or maybe it's part of your data virtualization tool, which is something that you mentioned that is very important. You don't necessarily have to bring all the things into the lake or the warehouse, as you mentioned, right? And then finally, decision automation, auto ML, machine learning, AI. There's a lot in this area that also seems to be an important part of the tool stack that you're talking about to empower better asking of why in the organization. So a lot of good stuff there. And Juan, I know you you, you had a lot of takeaways as well. What about on your side? I, I, I do, and I, I buckled the, bucket them into three. One is... I, we have this distinction of analytics and reporting. And I think traditionally kind of old school approach, executives, leader will think about it as reporting, right? Which is like, I read out this information. I don't understand it. I call somebody, but really analytics is more about being the, cur the curiosity, be inquisitive and ask the, and we need to be able to take that to the why, why, why keep digging deeper into that. And looking into this, why, why, why actually helps us focus more to the point that we say, okay, now I've actually have so many more whys. Now, now let's bring in our fancy AI and ML can help us out there. So I think that's a really important distinction. And, and also one that we see kind of the younger and kind of next generation of leaders are already are asking and they're whining, from, they're whining more. They want to go do this more. So I think that's, that's one of the things. Second, we really, we discussed about what does success look like when it comes to your, your having an effort of being data driven and within your organization. I mean, things as simple as you're walking by a meeting and you you notice that they're starting that meeting with the report. Like that's how you know that we're on the right path. And th thinking about adoption is we see the same types of reports being asked across different business lines. And this is generating collaboration. There's community within the organization. Um, when we think about kind of usage, it's not just about kind of just tracking how many hits a particular report has. This is just very superficial metrics. What you really want to be tracking is how is a report being edited, uh, being extended, being updated, and so forth to go answer those new questions and start to figure out what those new questions are. That's how you know that you're being successful. So very, very specific, and I love this. And third, one of the, my favorite moments right now that I had today was I mean, our conversation around semantics. It's the problems are not at the aggregated metrics layer. It's at that substance, that concept, that semantic layer. We need to have these data-centric conversations and not just ask about the metrics, but ask about what's underneath those metrics. And those are those the, the, the real-world concepts within your organization, the semantics, the meaning, knowledge first. That's our summary of our discussion today. How do we do? Spot on. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> well, look, let me throw it back to you to two final questions. One, what's your advice about data, about life? And second, who should we invite next? Yeah, thanks. Um, so my advice, I think, you know, from a leadership perspective, lean into your teams, lean into the data. You know, nothing but good can come out of just paying attention to, to the world of possible and trying it out. And then for all those you know, people out there trying to learn the data landscape, same thing is lean in and see the world of possible. There is so much cool things we can do with the tools and where they've come, the data models that are you know getting deployed by a lot of analytics teams out there. So get dangerous and roll up your sleeves. Get dangerous. 
Yeah. I like that. One. I'm writing that out. Get dangerous. And sec, who should we invite next? So I had two thoughts. I'll, I'll go with my first one. So Kent Graziano has been, you know, the self-proclaimed data warrior for a long time. Uh, recently, he he retired from Snowflake, and I think he'd be an awesome person for you guys to talk to, talk about, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the journey he's been through the years. That's an excellent suggestion. And I, I've, I've, um, I've, I've never met Ken, but I know who he is. And he's had his amazing career. He had, I, I also follow him and he just left Snowflake. So, yeah. um, all right. I don't know if Ken listens to us. If you are, you're We're going to be calling you soon. And if you don't, we're going to send you this podcast and hopefully you join us. So, uh, Luke, this was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, just, Quick shout out next week. We have Karen Lopez. She is, uh, I, I've, I've, I met Karen a long time ago at, at the at Dataversity events uh, on Twitter. She's data chick. And if you don't follow her, you are missing so much out. Uh, she's just a phenomenal force in the data world. Um, and I'm so excited to go be talking to her tomorrow. Uh, sorry, I want it to be tomorrow, but it's going to be next week. And we're going to talk about data modeling. Just like, how simple data modeling can is really not that simple, but we need to we need to focus on this stuff. So that's what we're talking to next week, Karen. And with that, Luke, thank you so much. Appreciate your time here today. Cheers. Yeah. And thank cheers. you, Tim. Thank you, Juan. Cheers. Cheers, and Luke. Also, thank you to Data Wolf for supporting Catalan Cocktail. We get to do this every Wednesday. It's so fun. Right. <laughs> cheers, Luke. This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Cataloging Cocktails fan base.